Did the earth come into existence through a Big Bang, or was it created by God? Did life evolve slowly over hundreds of millions of years, or was it the result of special creation by God? Which is the best explanation of the world we see around us, special creation or evolution? And does it really make any difference? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Two weeks ago, we began presenting excerpts from the presentations that were made at our 2010 Bible Conference. The theme of the conference was Defending the Faith. We began by sharing with you some of the insights presented by Brandon House, the founder and president of Worldview Weekends. Brandon kicked off our conference with a great presentation entitled, The Truth of the Christian Worldview. His remarks were based on his book, Grave Influence, in which he shows how 21 dead philosophers have contributed to undermining the Christian worldview. Last week, we shared a second presentation with you by Mike Gendron of Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries. His presentation was titled, The Truth of the Bible. He outlined many convincing proofs that the Bible is God's revealed Word and not man's search for God. This week, we're going to take a look at the remarkable presentation that was made by Job Morton entitled, The Truth of Creation. Job is the founder and director of Biblical Discipleship Ministries. He is a former dentist who gave up that medical career to devote his life to teaching that the creation account in the book of Genesis is true and should be interpreted to mean exactly what it says. Dr. Morton is the author of a highly readable and informative book called The Evolution of a Creationist. I love that title. You can purchase this book and many other materials, including a series of great videos through his website. And now, here is Dr. Job Morton. So I thought I'd share a little bit of my personal testimony first, and then we'll start looking at a, a few things here about the creation and about God's Word, which is true. Uh, if we're going to believe the Bible, we're going to believe in creation, because that's what the Bible teaches. In the beginning, God created. It doesn't say in the beginning, God evolved. And so uh, I was raised in the church, but not a Christian. I was part of that 89% that uh, Brandon talked about last night. I went to Bucknell University, majored in music and biology, took a course in evolution, became instantly a convinced old earth evolutionist, then uh, went on to dental school. When I got out of dental school, I was agnostic. Uh, that, that means I just didn't know if there's a God or not. I wasn't an atheist. I was agnostic. I was looking into Zen Buddhism. This is in the 60s, uh, height of the Vietnam War days, and uh, that was popular then, still is in, in some circles. And I was an evolutionist. So I'm agnostic, Zen Buddhist, evolutionist, raised in the church. And it was a very good church. It was an independent Baptist church, which are very conservative. Anyway, served as a dentist uh, in the United States Air Force. And during that time, I came to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior, as a result of my wife, Jenna D. Uh, I met her one day, and I had prayed, Lord, show me the girl I'm going to marry, or you're going to see the wildest Air Force officer you've ever seen. And I'm thinking, I don't know if anybody heard that, but that's the day I met my wife. And so I decided maybe God really does exist. So I uh, came to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior. 
And then I instantly went from being an agnostic Zen Buddhist evolutionist to being a theistic evolutionist. Now, I still had, I still had my Big Bang and billions of years, uh, but now I also had God. So I was a Christian evolutionist, which is most people in the church today. And then I went into private dental practice at the Manned Spacecraft Center down there in Houston. Ultimately got offered a job on the faculty at Baylor Dental College. I gave my first lecture on the evolution of the tooth. And I talked about how fish scales moved into the mouth and became teeth. And I can't believe I believed that. I did. They're still teaching our kids that in the universities. Um, They don't have evidence for their long-term millions of years. So they, they have to make it up. Uh, That's why I wrote the book, Evolution of a Creationist. Uh, The evidence has convinced me. And then two students challenged me after that lecture, would I be willing to investigate creation science, 1971? And so I'm reading my Bible, and they asked me to study the assumptions behind evolution, which I was never taught. And your your kids and grandkids are still not taught the assumptions, the guesses behind evolution. And I'm looking at animals, biology major. The first one I looked at is a little animal called a bombardier beetle. It shoots fiery hot gases out of twin tail tubes. And I think we have that on video number one there. And uh, I began to realize, you know what? These animals need all their parts. You can't have a partially evolving anything. It either works or it doesn't work. And, uh, but I had never been taught that. So anyway, I resigned my professorship in 1982, went to Dallas Seminary, majored in systematic theology, wrote my uh, thesis on the New Age movement, which, by the way, much of what Brandon House said last night, uh, references to that are on that. It's, it's at our website, biblicaldiscipleship.org, downloadable, free of charge, whatever. And uh, so you're welcome to look at that. So since uh, 1986, my family and I have been on the road. I'm, I was commissioned as a missionary to the United States. So that's what we do. We talk about you could have a relationship with the God of the Bible through his crucified and resurrected only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So looking at the assumptions with the evolutionists, uh, I began to realize that uh, the assumptions just aren't valid. What do we see out there? Whether it's a fossil, whether it's a living thing, it's a discrete entity. We can name it. It's not in between something. I mean, we don't see ducky chicks. Uh, We we don't see horsey cows, okay? Uh, We don't see things like this. Uh, The genes are there. We don't, uh, we got a Texas horsey cow here. There's your Texas guy's longhorns up there, see? So he's a Texas horsey cow. But we don't don't see that kind of thing. Uh, Why? Well, because God created each thing after its own kind. And so then there's other assumptions they make. They, they, they assume that there would be no carbon-14 in diamonds because diamonds are 500 million years old. So no, nobody ever bothered to look. So some creationist scientists about six years ago decided, well, let's go look. We believe in a young universe. If it is young, maybe there's carbon 6,000 years old or so. Maybe, there are, maybe there's carbon-14 in diamonds. Every single sample, carbon-14. That means diamonds can only be a few thousand years old. They still have measurable amounts of carbon-14. And then uh, recent uh, studies with dinosaurs, they're finding red blood cells, soft elastic tissue inside the bones. Well, you can't have a 68-million-year dinosaur with red blood cells in its bones, maximum a few thousand years. And so the evidence keeps piling up. You know what? The creation is true. It's as God described it. Now, we don't need that. We can trust his Bible, but it's like God is saying, look, I'll show you a few things here. And so he does. What's Proverbs 14, 12 say? There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I think that's the way of Big Bang, billions of years type evolution. 
Ah, that's deception. And Satan's world system is based on deception. So there's a way then. We're going to take one way or the other way, and there's eternal consequences to both ways. So we have to decide then who determines what is true. Does man determine what is true, or does God determine what is true? Well, there's consequences. If man determines truth, then we're presented with a system of origins that claims mindless, accidental, random, chance, non-directed, non-purposeful, non-intentional processes over billions of years evolved everything, animate, inanimate, everything, and the universe itself. You know, they tell us that the Big Bang created space and time. Well, I mean, how can an explosion create space? Doesn't that space have to be there for it to go somewhere? Uh, it's unbelievable what I used to believe. So, I don't know. When, if, it's, if it's just random chance processes, uh, why, why don't we have these kinds of things out there? Well, it's because God created everything after his own kind. Look what he says, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. So you'll never see those things. But if the God of the Bible determines what is true, then we have his account of the history of the universe, including the origin of mankind and the actual identity of the creator, the creator himself in his written word, the Bible, which is true. Well, who is the Creator? Well, God the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the agency of Lord Jesus, created everything. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Colossians 1, for by Him were all things created that are in the heavens and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Everything, he holds it all together. He's holding you all together right now. Hebrews 1, God of its sundry times and in divers' manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So Jesus is the creator. Well, if he's the creator... Then let's believe what he says about his account of origins as written in Genesis. But there's a popular objection that pops up. Well, Genesis, it's just poetry. It's myth. It's symbol. Never intended to be taken literally. Well, wait a minute. The grammatical word order of Hebrew poetry is subject, verb, object. God created the beast. Well, that's how it reads in English, but that's not how it reads in Hebrew. The, the uh, Hebrew narrative is verb, subject, object. Created God the beast. Well, that's how it reads. So Genesis is written in straightforward Hebrew narrative. Now, there's a little poetry in there here and there, but it's, for the most part, narrative. It's not poetry. It's intended to be read as accurate Hebrew historical narrative. It is God's history of what he did. So he told us what he did, the order in which he did it, and it's in narrative. He expects us to believe it. So since the Lord Jesus is our creator then, that gives him the right to be the redeemer because only the creator would have the right and the authority to redeem his particular creature, which is us. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. He's not one of many ways. He's not a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. So the creator is the redeemer. Praise God for that. And so, as you saw last night, the sons of Issachar, they understood their times and knew what they should do about it. Well, that's why you're here. Let's better understand our times and let's get better equipped to go out there and do something about it. Colossians 2 8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Beware lest any man. What man? Could it be Darwin? 
Could it be Freud? Could it be Jung? Could it be Nietzsche? Could it be Stephen Gould, Richard Dawkins? Beware lest any man. Let's put a face on those words. When we talk about creation origins, then we have to say a little bit about worldview. And what's your worldview? Well, it answers the basic questions in life. Does God exist? Is he good? What can we know for sure? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What do I value? You value this. You're here. You gave up a, a, a weekend to do this. Praise God. What's important to me? Is there purpose and direction to life? Well, that's what your worldview answers. And it's, it's like a big iceberg. Most of it's under the water. As you think in your heart, so are you. Well, you're, the, the building blocks of your worldview are the positions you take in these areas. Theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, law, sociology, politics, economics, history. That's what we send our kids off to school to study. That's what we've always studied. Art, music come out of that. All of them have mathematics. That forms your value system. What's important to you? Now, that's the underwater part. What do we see? Well, what you see is behavior. So your behavior is the outward display of what you really believe down deep in your heart. Your behavior shows your true worldview. Well, if you have a young person acts like the devil, says they're a Christian, they're probably still their father the devil. You have a businessman in the community. He's in church every time it's open. He's a total crook. He's probably still his father the devil. What are some of the anti-biblical worldviews promoted in this Satan's world system that are popular on the campuses and stealing up to 89% of our quote-unquote Christian youth? Well, as we saw last night, you got your humanists and your Marxists and your postmodernists and your New Agers and you have Islam and Christianity. If you're a humanist, you're an evolutionist. If you're a Marxist, you're an evolutionist. If you're a postmodernist, you're an evolutionist. If you're a New Ager, you're an evolutionist. If you're into Sufi Islam, you're an evolutionist. Well then, but we're, we should be creationists. And we're consistent. We'll say, you know, my theology, yep, I believe in God. My philosophy, yep, there's angels, demons, miracles, it's supernatural. Ethics, yep, there's some things always right, some things always wrong. Then we get down here to our, our biology, our creation, we jump out of our worldview. Well, I, I think Stephen Gould had it right. I think Charles Darwin had it right. We shouldn't do that, and we don't have to do that. You are watching Christ in Prophecy. So if we call ourselves Christians, we need to submit to God's Word, the Bible, starting in Genesis chapter 1. So some people say, well, I can have evolution and the Bible. The two don't conflict with each other. Genesis and evolution fit beautifully with each other. By the way, fire and ice do not mix. So it's not a salvation issue. It's either creation or evolution. There is no middle road. You can't say, I can have my billions of years and the Bible. Well, why? Well, what's the Bible teach? There is a God. What's evolution say? The whole reason for evolution is to say, I can be here without the necessity of a God. That's the whole purpose. The Bible says earth was here first. The Big Bang in billions of years says, oh no, stars were here first. The Bible says the earth started all wet. Well, wait a minute. Evolution says, no, it started dry. Molten rock finally cooled down. Comets and volcanoes produced the water. You see, which do you believe deep down in your heart? God says light before sun. I think he did that because he knew people would worship the sun. For the first three days, no sun, but still light. And each one of those days is half light and half dark. It's like God is saying, hey, don't worship the sun, worship me. I don't even need the sun. I can make light without the sun. I did it for the first three days of the creation week. Oh, no, sun had to be first because sun generated the light. Well, God says land plants first. Evolution says, oh, no, sea life first. God says birds before reptiles, birds on the fifth day, reptiles on the sixth day. Evolution says, oh, no, 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 no. It was reptiles first, and then millions of years later came the birds. Now, you, you might say in your heart, wait, wait, I can have both. I can have evolution and the Bible. You cannot. They are mutually exclusive. Either we trust God's word as true truth, or we don't. So let's trust it. We can trust it. 
All right, man made from dust, says God. Nope, man made from the primates, says evolution. God says man sinned the cause of death. Evolution says, oh no, death was here long before man ever came on the scene. Well, wait a minute. How can you have a pre-Adamic race of people if there is no death? And they're living and dying, and they make up a fossil. No, you can't have death before death. And God says death came as a result of sin. Now, here's an evolutionist. He writes in the, uh, the American Atheist, Christianity has fought, still fights, and will fight science to the desperate end over evolution. No, no, no. No, we don't. We don't fight evolution. We don't fight true science. We fight evolutionary false science. But we don't fight air conditioning, and we don't fight nice carpet, and we don't fight medications. We don't fight true science. We fight science based on false assumptions, which is evolution. He goes on. He says, because evolution destroys utterly and finally the very reason Jesus' earthly life was supposedly made necessary. See, what's the purpose of evolution? Get rid of Jesus. You see? And get rid of what else? Well, look at the next sentence. Destroy Adam and Eve and original sin. Get rid of Jesus. Get rid of Genesis. And we're okay. Everything's okay. We'll never be judged. We don't have to worry about it. So get rid of Adam and Eve and the original sin. And in the rubble, you will find the sorry remains of the Son of God. He refused to capitalize it, so I did. If Jesus was not the Redeemer that died for our sins, and this is what evolution means, then Christianity is nothing. Bozarth understands the issue better than the average Christian. Evolution requires millions and millions of years. Well, then, could those days in Genesis represent a billion years each? Day-age theory. Well, each one of those days is half light and half dark. You say a day equals a billion years. You got 500 million years of darkness followed by 500 million years of unrelenting light. Uh, Each day has a number. Day one, day two, day three. Everywhere else in the Bible that you have the Hebrew word yom with a number, it means normal day. Adam lived 930 years. All right? And then he died. Well, that's no problem before the flood. We don't have time to get into that. I get into it in my book a little bit there. Uh, well, wait a minute. If a, if a day is equal to a billion years and Adam lived 930 years, how old was Adam? Was he 1,600,930,930 years? No, of course not. Genesis 1.14 is God's commentary on what he means by the word day in Genesis chapter 1. So he put it right in Genesis chapter 1. Look what he says. He said, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Well, if a Genesis 1 day is equal to a billion years, how long is a season? A season is 90 days long. Is a season 90 billion years long? Uh, uh, How long is a year? If a day equals a billion years, how long is a year? God is saying, hey, look, I'm going to tell you right here in Genesis chapter 1, what I mean by the word day. So I'm going to contrast it to seasons and years. And nobody gets confused on what that means unless you come to the Bible with a preconceived idea, billions of years, and I've got to find a way to cram it into the Bible. So we're trusting the words that man makes truth instead of God's truth. Well, the Lord Jesus clarifies it right in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 9, six days that shalt thou labor and do all thy work. He's talking to people. We know how long those days are. We work normal days. Sometimes it feels like a billion years, but they're normal days. Uh, and then God says, verse 11, for in six days, God said, hey, the same kind of days I worked, you worked, I worked. And within a six-day week that's made up of the same kind of days you work, I worked and made everything that I made. I made the heaven, the earth, the seas, and everything that in them is. So within a six-day week made up of the same kind of days we work, God says, I made everything that I made. Those are normal days. 
See, the Bible is true. Creation is true. We can trust it, just like God says. Well, yeah, but couldn't a day be a thousand years? I hear that all the time. Well, that's 2 Peter 3. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord is a thousand years. They never finish the verse. The rest of the verse says, and a thousand years is as a day. So you just negated your argument there. But anyway, what's God doing? He's telling us his heart. It's, he says, he's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As God waits for us to come to repentance, a day is like a thousand years. And the context is these three judgments. The second coming judgment, this is Second Peter 3, second coming judgment, flood judgment, fire judgment, and then God inserts that little paragraph. Look, as I wait for you to come to repentance, a day is like a thousand years. I think that's all he's saying. So, he's above time, doesn't need time, but he wants us to know his heart. His heart is, he doesn't want any of us to perish. Well, if we're going to believe Genesis, then we have to believe we have a God doesn't need time. He creates fully mature systems. Okay, day six, is Adam a little baby? No, full-grown man. Let's say Michael the archangel is walking around in the garden on day six, walks, I'm making this up, but he walks up to Adam, he says, well, hello, my name's Michael. Adam says, well, my name's Adam. And Michael says, well, Adam, how old are you? My, Adam says, I'm ten minutes old. God just made me 10 minutes ago. Uh, God puts Adam to sleep, uh, takes out a rib. By the way, the progressive creationists are saying, no, 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 that doesn't mean he took out a rib. That just means Eve is sourced in Adam. No. Uh, why did he have to close up the flesh? Genesis chapter 2, 21. He took a rib out. He made Eve. Adam wakes up and says, whoa, man, which is woman. He says, uh, Eve, uh, you're beautiful, Eve. How old are you, Eve? Mm, 10 seconds. God just made me 15 seconds ago, Adam, fully grown, fully mature. Uh, Eve's a hungry Adam. Adam reaches up, picks a ripe peach. Man, Adam, what a farmer. How long does it take to grow a peach, a peach tree like that? Three days. No, you can't grow a tree with fruit. In th- if we're going to believe the biblical account, we have to believe we have a God that doesn't need time. And he has proven that with his miracles. He did his first miracle, John chapter 2, when he turned water into wine. How many water pots? Six. In John chapter 2, verse 6, there were set there six water pots of stone. Could have been ten, could have been a hundred. There were six. After the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins each, that's 20 or 30 gallons. Verse 10, and he, the head waiter there, said, Every man at the beginning thus set forth good wine at the beginning of the feast. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. Why do they do that? You can't taste it as good, I guess. Uh, But thou hast kept the good wine until now. How do you make good wine? This tasted like aged wine. How old is it? Two minutes. How many water pots? Six. How many days in the creation week? Six. What did he do? Create fully mature systems, just like fully mature tasting wine. Is that an accident? No. So, Peter... This guy comes to get Jesus. Peter grabs a sword, aims to chop the fellow's head off. I think the fellow ducked. What did Peter get? Got his ear. Okay. Jesus picks it up, puts it on. No scabs, no stitches, no healing, no time. He's going to feed the 5,000. They're not out there baking bread. He's pulling fully baked loaves of bread, dried fish. He's feeding them all. Our God doesn't need time. If we're going to believe the creation account, we have to believe we have a God. He's above time. He created time. He doesn't need time. You see, we can trust him, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, but those days in Genesis, they could be a billion years each, couldn't they? Well, Jonah then was in the belly of the great fish for three billion years. Okay? (laughs) Same words. Same words. Esther fasted for three billion years. Okay? She was really skinny when she finished. Uh, 
No, it's the same words. There's only one place in the Bible that people take those words and say it means a long period of time is Genesis because we come there with a preconceived idea. Evolution is true. Billions of years are true. I'm going to listen to the words of man instead of the word of God. And we try to cram it into the Bible. Well, maybe in the genealogies, there's huge gaps in there. Well, what's it tell us in Jude's uh, 14, Adam, uh, seven generations to Enoch. And then uh, we come down to Lamech, and Adam overlaps Lamech. I think Adam knew Lamech, his great-great-great-great-granddaddy. Probably said, hey, Lamech, get in my lap. I want to tell you something. I never should have eaten of that fruit. And then uh, Lamech is uh, Shem's granddaddy. So Shem comes through the flood out the other end. Shem overlaps Abraham by about 50 years at least. There are no huge gaps in the genealogical tables, but even if there were, it wouldn't help with evolution because these are the tables of the generations of people. And evolution says people were the last things to evolve. So even if you think there were billions of years, it doesn't help you if you're trying to cram evolution into the Bible. Well, then what do you believe, you see? Did, was it man first? Mark ten six. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Male and female what? Was it male and female bacteria from the beginning? Well, no, we know it wasn't. Why? Because the context is divorce. You've never met a heartbroken, divorced bacteria, okay? It's people that get divorces, and God says he made people from the beginning. Oh, no. Evolution says, oh, no, no, no. People came at the very last second of 15 billion years of geologic ages. So what do you believe deep down in your heart? And God said, everything that he made, and behold, it was very good in the evening, in the morning, were the sixth day. Everything is very good. So Eve and Adam, they're in the garden. Oh, Eve says, Adam, this is a perfect place. Adam says, yes, Eve, it's very good, just like God said. But what if they're sitting there on a pile of dead fossils? Okay, pain, death, killing, disease, struggle, suffering. By the way, you can get good things like this from answers in Genesis. Uh, no, there's no way God would pronounce that very good. You have been watching Dr. Job Morton speaking on the truth of creation at our 2010 Bible Conference. What you have seen is only about half of the presentation. At the end of this program, we will tell you how you can get a video copy of his full presentation together with the presentations made by five other speakers. I personally want to emphasize the importance of what Dr. Morton shared. It is vitally important that we as Christians accept the creation account in Genesis to mean what it says. The reason is that the integrity of God's Word is at stake. Either God has told us the truth about creation, or He has not. I believe He has. And I do not believe we need to try to conform the creation story to modern science because evolution is junk science based upon theories that cannot be proved. As Dr. Morton emphasized over and over, God does not need time. He can create instantaneously. Special creation always carries with it the illusion of time, but it is only an illusion. Another reason I believe it is important to interpret the creation story literally is because if you spiritualize it, then where do you stop? Do you spiritualize the virgin birth, the miracles of Jesus, His resurrection? And if you're going to spiritualize the beginning of the Bible, you know what? You will most likely end up spiritualizing the end of the Bible, arguing that the second coming prophecies do not mean what they say. Next week, the Lord willing, we will continue to share with you the presentations made at our 2010 Bible Conference. I'll be the featured speaker, and my topic will be the truth of the virgin birth. I hope you can join us for the program. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. The presentation you have just seen was made at the Lamb and Lion Bible Conference in 2010 and is included in a video album we have produced titled Defending the Faith. 
The album contains six sermons on three DVDs, and it can be yours for a gift of $25 or more, plus shipping. The first presentation, titled The Truth of the Christian Worldview, was made by Brandon House. Mike Gendron, in the second presentation, speaks about the truth of the Bible. The third presentation, titled The Truth of Creation, was made by Dr. Joe Martin. Eric Barger, in the fourth presentation, speaks about the truth of Jesus' divinity. In the fifth presentation, Dr. David Reagan speaks about the truth of the virgin birth. And finally, Dr. Ron Rhodes, in the sixth presentation, speaks about the truth of the resurrection. This album can be yours for a gift of $25 or more, plus shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen and ask for the 2010 conference album. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.